Good morning. That's terrible. Mobile. Good morning. That's Mobile. That's a little slow over in Malvis. Hey, welcome. Thanks for being with us. Hey, let me ask you this question. Uh, just be honest with you. How, how many of you love God? Hold, hold your hands up. Come on, Mobile, everybody. That's great, great. Put your hands up. How many of you love people? That's really good. How many of you are in a small group? Oh, about half. Oh, mo- more hands in Mobile than Malvis. I can see it. You got to get in a small group. If you don't, you're old, square, and all that stuff. If you get in one, you're cool, you're connected. I'm going to be part of your small groups this next session, so you want to be there. I'm going to take role and make sure if you're there or not. But anyway, hey, I want to say thanks to a group of guys who just returned uh, from Honduras. We were in San Pedro Sula, and we continued working on a church that we started building, Bay, when I say we, uh, over a year ago. It's in one of the poorest areas. It's a huge community area. And most of the churches there seat like 50, 100 people. And I was there a few weeks ago and met with Pastor Oscar. And uh, we're, uh, this thing, I said, how many will it seat? And in America, it may seat 1,000. He said 2,000. I thought, well, we're building our building too large because if they can get 1,000 there, they're just going to, they're just going to stack them in like, you know. I thought, well, we could just stack you in with no air conditioning. I wouldn't work in America. But anyway, it's going great, and our guys worked on the building this week, had a wonderful time. We're really uh, thankful for that. Uh, Many of you have, uh, over the last month, have met uh, our China representative, and uh, Jim, and uh, we will have for you next weekend kind of a report of what's going on there, Bay Community's connection there and what's going on. And so I want you to know that there's just some really incredible things happening there, and uh, we will update you on that next week. Well, if you have your Bible, whether it's in paper form or it's, whether it's on a, in a device, I want you to turn to two passages. They're both in the Old Testament. I want you to turn to the book of Numbers, chapter 13, and I'll stay there most of the time. Then we'll go all the way through the book of Deuteronomy and then pick up in the book of Joshua. And uh, if you'll turn to Numbers 13, Joshua 14, as we enter into this new series, I want to show you a comparison. Most of you know that we're living in the New Covenant. We're, we're living in the New Testament side. And that we also know that we can learn from the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel rec- can represent the church. That would be us. And Egypt can represent the world or the life before Christ, uh, the, the sin that we come out of. We know that the promised land can represent the promises of God. Now, for many of you, when I use the term promised land, it, it, may not, it may not register, so maybe a better word would be inheritance. Uh, as believers, the ultimate issue in inheritance is eternal life. As a believer, you have the promise of inheriting eternal life. But there's more to inheritance than just the promise of eternal life. In the Bible, inheritance, is the word is often used to describe the present or the future blessings of a, of a believer's spiritual life. The promises of inheritance are for God's children. The promises are endless. It's just unbelievable. God has a specific interest in each of us as individuals. Each of us have an inheritance, and it's uniquely your own. No one else has your inheritance. You have your own. This unique inheritance includes individual destiny, individual purpose that God is longing to accomplish in your life to bring him glory. It also includes physical inheritance. Uh, You could say material things that God has set aside for each of us. 
material possessions such as money or land. They're not only for our own necessity, but they're also there to advance the kingdom of God on earth. Also included in the elements of personal inheritance are our God-chosen spouse and our God-given children. So through our family, the deposits of inheritance that he deposits in us as a family, it can go from one generation to the next generation and beyond. So what is inheritance? What, what is the promised land? And let's use the word inheritance. What is inheritance? Inheritance is possessing the portion that God has given you. God has given you a promised land. He has given you an inheritance, and that's possessing what he's given you. The problem is many of us never take possession of our inheritance on the earth. If you're a believer, you're, you, one day you'll take possession of the inheritance of eternal life. But possessing our inheritance here on the earth, it means that we move out and actively grab hold of what God intends to be ours. And we know from Israel, if we, if we go back, Israel went from Egypt. They were in slavery over 400 years. They go toward the promised land. And, and, and they will encounter obstacles. We too, at times, we will meet and we will have to overcome obstacles. And like Israel, they had to oftentimes defeat giants. And the text we're going to start in today is probably the second most famous reference of giants in the Bible, except for Goliath. And in Numbers 13, we find an interesting story, and I'll set the stage for you. The nation of Israel's come out of Egypt. They've been in slavery 430-something years, and after many journeys, they end up on the border of the promised land. They're on the border. They're looking at the promised land. And, and here's why it's called the promised land, because God told Israel, I, I promised to give them this land. When they get to the border, Moses says, I want 12 spies, one from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. I want you to go into the land, and I want you to find out these things for me. I want to know, is the land a land that flows with milk and honey? I'll tell you what that means in a minute. And do the people live there? Do they live in tents or do they live in walled cities? Are they just vagabonds with a tent moving around? Or, or, or do they have, a, have they established walled security cities? And thirdly, I want you to look for a harvest. I want you to look for fruit. If you find fruit in the harvest, I want you to bring some back and show us. Now, of the 12 spies, most of us only know the names of two of them, and that's Joshua and Caleb. When we pick up in this story, they've just returned from spying out the land. They're giving their report. They're showing the fruit. The fruit is so large, they had to attach it to a pole and carry it on the shoulders of men. And here they are. And in verse 26, chapter 13, here's where we start. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron. They've returned. All the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation. And they showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told them and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Now remember, we're in the New Testament. So this is what, this is what makes this exciting. Can I find this phrase in the Old Testament? Can I find this in the New Testament? The phrase in the Old Testament, does the land flow with milk and honey? Milk and honey literally means health and prosperity. Health and prosperity. So they're saying this land that God's given us, it promotes health and prosperity. Well, can we find that in the New Testament? Sure we can. In 3 John 2, beloved, I pray that you prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. So the promises of God in the New Testament also promote health and prosperity. Going back to Numbers, verse 28. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified, very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Well, who are the descendants of Anak? Who are the children of Anak? 
verse 33. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, who came from the giants. They said, hey, we have found this land. It's an incredible land. It promotes health and prosperity, but we got a problem there. It is invaded by giants. They're there illegally. They're living there. Their cities are fortified. It's not going to be just go, down, go in and knock down some tents, but they're living in fortified cities. Now, let's compare it to the old, to the new. If we go to the Old Testament, God brought them out of Egypt. That's a type and a shadow. They, God brought them out of darkness, and he brought them into light, the promises. Same thing with us in the New Testament. God, if you are born again, God brought you out of darkness and brought you into the light, and that's the promises of the New Testament. So God says, go into the promised land, and when they get there, the, 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 the spies, that, like they're surprised because the land is inhabited and the people are strong. Now, I'd have been more surprised that the land God was, going, was, was giving if there was nobody there. Because why would I want land that nobody else wants? So there are squatters there. They're there illegally. And, and so here they are in the land. It's inhabited. And the people there live in health and prosperity. And they're not willing to give it up. They're not going to just say, oh, yeah, here, just, just take the key to my house and the city and take it and go. No, they're, they're not going to leave easy. And Israel acts surprised. So let me just ask you this. It's not a trick question. How many of you think when God gave them that land, he knew the giants were there? 22 of you. <laughs> Smart group. Now, watch. Verse 29. There's more. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. What we're going to discover over the next few weeks in this series we're going to look at seven people groups. In the people groups, we're going to see their characteristics, their nature, how they live, and how they came against God's people. We're going to see that God's people deal with each one of them individually, and we're going to learn from that. We're going to discover, though, since we're in the New Covenant, the New Testament, <coughs> excuse me, that sometimes the giants are not on the outside. The giants that I'm talking about are not in the flesh. They're spiritual. These are inside giants. And you have to defeat them, and you have the ability to defeat them. But you have to identify them, then you've got to know how to defeat them. So God, he knew all these different people groups were there, and God knew the problems that were there, even when he told them to go take the land. It's no different for you and me. God has given us promises, and those promises are there. And listen, there is a spiritual giant there and it's no different. They're there, and God knows it's there, but God wants us to identify that giant and understand how to defeat that giant. In the New Testament, I'm, I'm going to prove it to you. Let's go over to the New Testament. In the New Testament, God said he could supply all your need according to his riches and glory. But did God even think we'd get to the 21st century? Did God even know that the economy would do this? Did he know there'd be inflation? Did, did, he, did he know that all of these things were going to happen? Yes, and he, and he still says... He even knew there'd be lack and poverty and inflation and terrorists and war. And he still said, I will supply all your need according to his riches and glory. Just like then, there are giants in the land. When we get to where God wants us to be, listen, when you get to your dream, you get to your destination, you get to that border of where God is wanting you to live and operate and, and develop, when you get there, you look into it, you're going to see that there are giants in the land. Now, now here's the question and I'll give you the answer. So do you know what you're going to do? Now, don't say no, because I'm going to tell you the answer. Defeat them. So let, let's just pretend I didn't say that, and let me ask the question again. Do you know what you're going to do? Yes. 
Okay, four of you got it right. Let's do it one more time. Defeat them is the answer. Mobile, work with me. Look, okay, I've just given you the whole history about this giants, and they're in the land, and in your promises in the land. Do you know what you're going to do? That's a little better. We're going to learn from this series the types of giants and how to defeat them. The spies see the land. They see the harvest. Nevertheless, there are obstacles, problems, giants in the land. But listen to Caleb in verse 30. He quieted the people before Moses, and he said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. The King James says, We be able. Yeah, we be able, weebles. In this verse, is there a verse in the New Testament, what Caleb just said, we're able to overcome. Is there one in the New Testament that talks about overcoming? 1 John 5, verse 4. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. What is faith? Listen, faith is believing and speaking God's word. So what's Caleb doing? He's, he, his, he's speaking based on his believing. What did he believe? What, he, he believed we can do it. It's our land. God said it's our land. Let, let's go do it right now. Let's don't wait. Let's just head out and do it. He, they, there was a problem. There were giants there, but we have the solution. So 12 spies, two say, two say, let's go do it right now. Here's what the other 10 said in verse 31. But the men that went up with them were not able to go up against the people. And the King James says, we be not able, for they are stronger than we are. The biggest church in the world is the We Be Not Able group. It's the largest unofficial organization in the world, and, and they are everywhere because whatever God says you can do, they say, you're not able to do that. Are you crazy? You can't pull that off. You can't do that. You, you can't operate like that. You, I know you. I've known you all your life. I know your history. I know your past. You can't do that. It doesn't matter what God says. It, it, it doesn't, it, that problem's been around too long. That problem is too big. What are we doing? When we hear that, we believe the evil report. They came back with a report to the congregation, verse 32. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report. One translation says an evil report. Of the land which they, they spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we see in it are men of great statue. But, but what? It can't be both. It can't be a land that devours its inhabitants because then there wouldn't be very many inhabitants there. And it can't, and on the other side, at the same time, it can't be an, a land that people are big and strong. It, it's either one or the other. Either it's, it eats up the inhabitants or it causes the inhabitants to be big and strong. It can't be both. What, what are they doing? Fear is talking. Fear speaking. Listen, when, when fear speaks, it makes no sense and it has no point of reasoning. Here's what fear does. Fear throws ideas out to you that has no point of reference and even will contradict itself, just like in that verse. The voice of fear contradicts itself. Why? It's, fear is not trying to make an argument. Fear wants you to bite into unbelief. That's the way it worked. That's the way it works today. That's the way it always worked. They brought up that evil report. Watch, most people miss this. Watch how God responds to their evil report. Numbers 14, verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? How long will they not believe me with all the signs which I performed before them? You know, he opened the sea, took care of Pharaoh, got him out of, I mean, all this stuff. Verse 12, God says, I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. 
and I will make you a nation greater and mightier than they. Come here, Moses. We're just going to leave these people. They're hard-headed, stubborn people. Come here, me and you, we'll just go start this whole thing over again. He didn't do that, which is a good thing. God doesn't like it when you talk negative about his promises. When God says you can do something, and then you say, I can't do that, you're bringing up a negative report of what he, of what he promised. When he, when he says, I, I, I want you to do this, and I've called you to do this, and here's your promised land, you said, oh, I can't do that. That's too big. That's, that's been around too long. When you say you can't, you're bringing forth a negative report. And God doesn't like that. And in fact, if, if you can't believe it, you're probably better off just to keep your mouth shut. So here's Caleb saying, hey, let's go. Let's possess it. It's ours, the land. We're able to overcome it. And then in verse 31, 32, we hear all this we be now able stuff. And they have a big voice. What is the voice? The voice of fear becomes the stranglehold that cuts off the inheritance by speaking unbelief. And this is when you hear people say, yeah, God said it, but it's just too hard. Or God said it, but it's not worth it. Or, or, or I'm too weak, or I can't do this. It's not my destiny. Look at verse 33 again. There we saw the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. That's grasshopper thinking. You'll never defeat giants with that mentality. That's the voice of fear, and it's all around you. Ten spies say, no way, you can't do that. Who, are you kidding? Two say, yes, you can, you can take it. I'll give you an example. I, but, because I promise you in life there will be more negative voices around you than positive unless you change it. I'm one voice. Hopefully once a week I get to speak into your life. And once a week I, I can say things that you're going to prosper, you're going to live blessed, you're going to live in victory, you're going to be strong, you're going to be, fear, have, uh, be fear free, and you're going to have peace and joy. I'm one voice, but I promise you that my one voice will, will, will be in competition with at least five other voices next week that will say, no, you can't do that. No way. You, you're wrong. Why do you believe that? Here, here's what people will say. People will come there, hear a message and, 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 and see, I'm just laying an introduction to this whole series. They'll hear a message, they'll get all excited, and they'll go home and, and they'll, they'll tell their, their, their friend or they'll tell their sister and, 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 and when they get home. And then all of a sudden, the sister or the friend becomes the authority in your life. You know, the one that has never seen a moment of victory in their life ever. And they tell you, you can't do that. Are you kidding so you listen to their voice and not to what the Word of God says. Or you go to that coworker, and, and you tell them. And I'm talking about the coworker who, who's not going anywhere in life. I'm talking about the coworker that just gets by, the coworker that thinks abundant life is, is sitting in the back of his pickup fr truck on Friday and drinking a beer. I mean, that, that, it doesn't get any better than this. That's their mentality. That didn't go over anywhere this weekend because I'm in the South. South's full of rednecks with pickup trucks. I understand it, but... but you got to see. That's a negative voice. That's not the one you want to be listening to. You, you, you know, you, you have to decide. Are you going to listen to the spirit of Joshua and Caleb, or are you going to be part of the we be not able bunch? The choice is yours, but here's the deal. You can take the land, but you have to become a giant killer. You're going to see it turn in a minute. The giant voices are all around you. You can't do that. You can't start that business. You can't be successful with that. Your marriage will never make it. Your kids will never grow up to do this and accomplish that. You'll never get out of debt. You'll never be financially successful. Those voices all around, and, and listen, you have to decide. You're going to either agree with God and his word, or you're going to agree with that we be not able bunch. 
Now, let's go back to the book of Joshua, or let's go over to the book of Joshua, chapter 14. Watch this. 45 years later, say it, 45. That's a long time, right? 45 years later, Joshua and Caleb are going to take the we be not Abel's children into the promised land. The we be not able people die in the wilderness. Those who are negative and cannot believe in God's promises die in the wilderness of life. And Joshua and Caleb take their children and the children of the we be not, be not able group and they go in and they take it city by city, giant by giant, they take the land. Joshua 14, 7. Listen to this. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went with me, the ten spies, made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive. As he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now, here I am this day, 85 years old, and I, I want a present for my birthday. He's going to get it. And as yet, 85, I am as strong this day as on the day Moses sent me as a spy. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and coming in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain. Give me this land. Give me the promises. Give me the inheritance which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how Anakin was there and how the cities were great and fortified. May it be that the Lord be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. It's my birthday and here's what I want for my birthday. I want that mountain and I want the one with giants on it. He went in and he took the mountain, he and his children, and they lived there. What's remarkable is, yes, he's 85 years old. That's remarkable. But here's what's really remarkable is he believed for 45 years. Some people can't believe for seven days because you hear the word and it goes in. You go out and you listen to somebody that's negative and they, they, they tear down. You listen to that voice and they tear down and you never fulfill it. You never hold on to it. What's the difference? He wholly followed the Lord. He followed the Lord by what the Lord said. And listen, we have it better than him. We have the Bible in print. We have the consistent presence of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit then come and went. It would come in and inspire and leave. Didn't have the word of God. What did he have? He heard what Moses said from the Lord. That's the only thing he had. And that's what he's believing in for 45 years. You know what stopped him from taking the land 45 years earlier? The unbelief of the people around him. The unbelief of people around you can keep you from accomplishing and fulfilling the promises and the inheritance God has. I don't understand. I, I can't comprehend. If I hear from the Lord, I hear the word of the Lord, and yet I'm around someone who's negative and tearing it down, why do I want to stay connected around those people? Because what they're doing is their voice is being used and you're believing you have to choose. You have to choose. Are you going to listen and believe what the promises of the Lord are? Or are you going to listen to them? So it really matters what you think and believe. If you will hold on and continue to follow God, you get to the place he wants you to be. 
Well, how did Caleb wholly follow the Lord? Numbers 14, verse 24. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him, in him has followed me fully. I will bring him into the land where he went, and his descendants shall inherit it. Why, why, why did God say Caleb's spirit was different? What was spirit? What, what gave Caleb a different spirit? The word was in his heart. He saw everything everybody else saw, and, and, and he had a different spirit because the word was in his heart. God will give you a different spirit from those around you, and it will separate you and put you on another course. So, now, do, do you know what you're going to do? Defeat giants. That, that's the answer. Okay, one more time. Do you know what you're going to do? Defeat giants. Okay, some of you answer it. You have not a clue what you're saying. You just talk real loud. But, but some of you are not paying attention at all. Because this whole series is for me to identify through the Word of God the nature of giants that are still in the land, spiritual giants in the land, and what we need to learn how to do is defeat This group doesn't have it at all. Watch my, word. Watch my mouth. Defeat them. Say it with me. Defeat them. Ooh, they're really slow. They don't get it either. Let's try this group over here. Come on. Say it with me. Defeat them. All right, everybody in Mobile, can you shout it out one time that you've got it? Say it. Defeat them. That's the answer. So here's my first point. To defeat giants, you have to change your perspective. Watch. Don't, don't, don't turn me off. Watch. Numbers 13, 33. We've read it two times already. I'm going to read it the third time. And there, they saw, and there we saw the giants the son of Anak, which come from the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we're in their sight. Sometimes we let things get so big in our thinking because of the way we see ourselves and the problem gets so big. They saw the giants, the son of Anak, which comes from the giants. That's just all genealogy. Why did he insert genealogy in this verse? Because it's not just any giants. These are the giants who are the sons of the giants, who came from a long line of giants. Do we hear that kind of talk today? Yes. Yes, and it comes from a long line of giants too. Here's what people say. Every, every person in my family has had this problem. Every man in my family has been an alcoholic. Every woman in our family has had to fight cancer. Every person in our family has had heart failure, heart problems. Every, every, all the men in our family has had lust problems. All, all the women in our uh, anger problems, all these issues. Here's what it is. It's a son of the giant that's been in your family for years. What do we do? We just think, well, that's the way it is. That's the way grandmama was, and that's the way grandpa was, and, it, and it's just passed down. No, it's the son of a giant that has come into your family line and we're going to identify those through these people group so that you can defeat them so you don't have to pass it on from generation to generation. You have an inheritance, and the inheritance doesn't have to be infiltrated by giants who do not belong there. You can stop it so it doesn't go to your kids and your kids' kids. But you have to know how to defeat them. Are you with me? Okay. So the, what happens in this is when we believe this, it's just the way it is. I've had people just say, yeah, I know I'm going to get this because so-and-so in my family had this. My mama had this. My daddy had this. I'm, I'm just waiting on to get it. That's grasshopper mentality. When in truth, God made you be a giant killer. 
Did God know that when he sent the children of Israel into the promised land that the sons of the giants would be there? Yes, he did. And he, and he knows, he said, his word said, you are well able to get them out of what's yours. So God is for giant kill, killers. Here's the second question. How do you keep the right perspective? Hebrews 10, 23, the first part of that verse, here's what it says. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith. Now, I'm going to show you what the word profession means. Some translations say confession. The, the original language is, is profession. There's two roots to it. The first part of the word profession means to say the same thing. So if you are professing something, you are saying, you're, you're, you're taking the words that God has given you and you're putting them in your heart. You're, you're saying things that God has said, you're putting in your heart. And some think, listen, some think, well, I just walk around and repeat what I heard somebody else say. If I just, I know the church lingo, I know the Bible lingo. If I just go around and say what they say, but you see, because it comes out of your mouth and not from your heart, no matter how convincing you are and how loud you are, the profession doesn't produce the fruit. So you say one thing with your mouth, but the way you live and what's going on in your family doesn't line up. I'm talking to somebody. I'm talking to you. Don't make me point you out. It doesn't line up. Why? Because it's a mechanical profession. It's not in the heart. Here's what Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty three. 23. He said, For as surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believe that these things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. So look, there's no doubt by Jesus' own admission, our faith and our mouth must be connected. The key to faith-filled professions is that we have no doubt in our hearts, but we believe those things which the Lord has said, and then we can have whatever we say. A mechanical profession doesn't come from the heart. It doesn't bring forth fruit. The second part of the word profession, here's what it comes from. It comes from a word you'll be familiar with. It's the word logos, and it's a Greek word, and it means words. So when we talk about professing God's word, <coughs> we're actually saying what we are Coming, what we're doing is we're coming into alignment with what God said. It's called a divine alignment. So the word profession not only means to say it, but more specifically it means to see it like God sees it, feel it like God feels it, know it like God knows it, until our heartbeat is in sync with where, the very heart of God. That's exactly what Caleb did. When you read God's logos, his word, you're reading his heart, you're reading his mind, his ways, his plans, and his purposes. When you hold fast to the profession of faith, you are choosing to shove aside all your preconceived notions and desires, and you're opting to come in divine alignment with God's plan for your life. That's what Caleb was doing. Third question, what will you miss without the right perspective? Without the right divine alignment, what will you miss? Caleb waited 45 years because he was of a different spirit, but he wholly followed the Lord. He enters the promises, he enters the inheritance of God with his children and the children of the negative group. Watch what the Bible says. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, most of you know this verse. Now faith is the substance. Notice the word substance. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Some say this is the definition of faith. I see this as the description for the behavior of faith. The word substance means to stand by something or stand right alongside of something. In other words, when faith finally finds, when faith finds what it needs and what it wants, it never moves again. 
until it gets what it needs and what it wants. That's faith. A, a good analogy for us would be a, a bulldog. A bulldog that found the bone of his dreams and it's in his jaws and nobody's going to take it out. Nobody's going to take it out. It, it, it's the bone of his dreams. Churchill said it like this, the nose of the bulldog slants backwards so he can bite and breathe at the same time. That's the kind of faith that Caleb had. That's the kind of faith. He heard what God said. He's determined, committed. He puts his foot down. It's a steadfast, grit kind of faith and, he, and, 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 and that knows how to look right into the opposition of the giant. You don't belong here. This, this, this is my land. You don't belong here. This belongs to God. You are illegally here. You don't belong in my family. You're illegally in my family. You disease and you, you lying spirit. You do not belong in my family. And we stand by faith because we've taken the word, the Logos word of God, and we've intertwined it into our heart. So our faith is based on what we believe out of our heart, but we speak it with our mouth. Amen. Am I talking to the right group? Where do I get this kind of faith? It's an overflow of a divine relationship that develops when you hear the Word of God. Then you wholly commit yourself to what the Word says. But if you believe every Tom, Dick, and Harry out there that's trying to tear it down, you're not going to be wholly following the Lord. You're going to be blown around by the wind. You're going to chase your tail. You're, you're going to be all over the board. You have to believe what the Word of God says and stand firm in that. And watch, the behavior of faith is demonstrated by a tenacious, unrelenting decision to stand by a word from God and you never let go until you see it totally fulfilled. Amen. Amen. And nothing else will do it. Nothing else will satisfy you. If, you're, if you are really moving in genuine faith, you will take the promised land. Joshua and Caleb, they had this kind of faith. When they looked at the giants... One verse said, this is what they say. This is what they saw. They saw bread. Saw the same giants, the other ten. They saw bread. One translation said they saw lunch. Here's what they, they, they saw opportunity. They didn't listen to the voice of fear. They didn't listen to the voice of negativity. They didn't listen to the so-called Christian that's full of negative and complains about everything. I know there are none here, but you know some. It's getting kind of quiet. Joshua and Caleb saw opportunity. Well, how do you get that way? You don't look at things through your own strength. You look at things through the promises of God, and through the promises of God, you see bread. You see opportunity. Now, now listen, you're going to hear this over and over again in this series. Jesus is the giant killer. We're not talking about flesh because we're not battling flesh and blood. He is the giant killer. But we have a responsibility in this. And I want to show you, in this series, we have to identify the giants and we have to know how to kill them, defeat them. In the famous story of Goliath, and that's not his name, that's his title. He's the champion. Here he stands, 9, 10 feet tall. Here comes David. What does David do? He takes the stone, he slings the stone, and the power of God's behind the stone, and, 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 and he's practiced, so he, his accuracy is natural, but God takes care of it, and he hits the giant in, in the forehead and knocks the giant down, but the giant's not dead. You know what killed him? David took his, the giant's sword and cut his head off. Listen to me. You can listen to this series 
And we're going to talk about it in fusion groups. But I'm telling you, Jesus is the giant killer. But somewhere in there, your responsibility is, is to cut its head off. What does that mean? That means you have to stop entertaining all of the negatives and the lies and everything that's been put in your mind and everything that says you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't be successful. You can't be a successful husband, successful wife. You can't make a business work. You can't, you can't see prosperity and health. You're going to have to cut off those voices that come and talk to you that have been passed down from sons of giants and sons of giants so that you are victorious. And I'll just be honest with you. It's time for the people of God to be victorious overcomers and not walk around with your tail tucked in like you're afraid to move. We have a God that's incredible, and he says, I show up through my people, and when I show up through my people, it's, to, it's for you to reach and fulfill your destiny, and part of your destiny is to see people come to him and to know him, and the enemy doesn't like it, and if he can use a spirit, if he can use a giant that's been in your lineage for 100 years, he'll use it. We have to not be ignorant of the devices of the enemy, identify them, and then kill them graveyard dead. Okay, I'm getting too excited. I need to be calm. You guys okay? Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for equipping us. Thank you for a promise, an inheritance. And God, I, I want the one that's eternal, but I want the one on the earth. Because the one on the earth is going to bring your glory to all the people groups all over the world. And they're going to see the real God. Lord, teach us how to identify the nature characteristics of these spirits that have operated so long on the face of this earth. And teach us how to defeat them. Teach us how to take the sword of the word of God and cut their heads off. Teach us how to defeat them. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody good? God bless you.